0: Dressed. The history of fashion is a production of iHeartRadio. With over seven billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common: every day, we all get dressed.
1: Welcome to Dressed, the History of Fashion, a podcast that explores the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, Cassidy Zachary. And April Callahan.
0: Cass, as you know, on this show, we have many times addressed this question, is fashion art? But today, we're going to flip the script on that a little bit and ask the question, can art fashion? And maybe the answer to both of these questions is yes, because today we're going to chat about this manufacturer whose name was Fuller Fabrics and their endeavor in creating their
1: line of modern master's prints. In November of 1955, Fuller Fabrics began promoting their Modern Master Prints, a collection of 60 printed textiles that were adapted from the artworks of, quote, the five great artists of our time. So maybe a few people you've heard of Uh, (laughs) Pablo Picasso, Marc Chagall, Raoul Dufy, Joan Miro, and Fernand Leger. The collection took Two years to complete and was advertised as, quote, a brilliant contribution to the fashion world in a series of prints of rare beauty and unusual distinction. Produced for the mass market,
0: the print series was available to professional designers and the public alike. So better department stores such as Bloomingdale's retailed yardages of these designs for anywhere at the time between $1.49 and $3.98 per yard, which essentially today would be the equivalent of anywhere from $12 to $30 a yard. And the collection was publicized at the time by both the general press as well as Fuller's own advertisements. And many of these advertisements featured featured in publications such as Vogue,
1: Harper's Bazaar, and New York Times Magazine. And these advertisements featured the modern master prints as utilized in fashions by some of the leading American designers of the day. So this included Seal Chapman, Anne Fogarty, Molly Parnas, Tina Leiser, Claire McCardell, and Adele Simpson, among others.
0: Although the Modern Masters print series received significant coverage in art and fashion periodicals between the years of 1955 and 1956 and is also documented in subsequent textbooks devoted to the history of modern textiles, I've actually yet to ever see a comprehensive source of the images of this entire collection of somewhere around 60 different textiles. And this is
1: new to me, I should say. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: like a a curiosity thing. I've only ever been able to kind of identify around 25 of them or so, a little less than half. But we do actually get inquiries at FIT, not infrequently from textile historians who are looking for more information on the modern master's prints. So it's definitely not just me that's keenly curious about this really fun intersection of art and fashion.
1: Oh, yeah. It's such a fascinating topic as we are going to explore further here today. And this whole collection came to be when manufacturer D.B. Fuller first approached none other than Picasso, who he connected with apparently via a mutual friend. And Fuller approached Picasso with his idea for a series of textiles based on artwork by luminaries of the art world. And with Picasso's encouragement, initially four other artists were selected, and that's Dufy, Leger, Miro, and Chagall. And Fuller's textile designers worked closely with the four modern masters, as well as Raoul Dufy's widow, because he had passed, to source inspiration for the textile motifs from their existing bodies of work.
0: Yeah, and once a painting or drawing or other source of artwork had been selected, the Fuller artisans adapted the artwork to scale. And then they had to create a repeat that was suitable for this motif for use on fashion or home furnishing fabrics. And these motifs were ultimately subject to the artist's final approval and the technical aspect of engraving the printing plates and then also selecting the appropriate color palettes. And this was done, of course, to retain some of the integrity in the artist's original works. Well, that whole kind of production process took more than a year. So say that they, they really spent some time working on this.
1: Yeah, and I just want to say, too, if Raul Dufy sounds familiar, it's because he, you know, this is not a new process for him. He'd been working with Paul Poirier on interior design fabrics since at least, when was that, April 1913? Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. So anyway, so Fuller's advertisements for Picasso's designs for this series promote his quote great range and genius in color and line while the new york times noted that his quote fabrics reflect his many periods and the wit of miro's designs was noted in multiple sources of the period quote the wit and delight of miro's work is refreshing for today's fashions and the magazine american fabrics called out his wit and bold use of symbol and strong color Chagall's fabrics
0: were said to evoke, quote, the fantasy of remembered childhood, dreaming, nostalgia, and gentle humor. And the New York Times wrote that Dufy's textile designs, quote, mirror his quick strokes and soft tints, and featured delightful seascapes, races, and Paris scenes. And actually, some secondary sources that were published much, much later actually go out of their way to make special note that Leger's designs for this, you know, textile series, of all of the artists, that his work, quote, translated best to this format. And this was probably because they featured, quote, dramatic color, and were like stained glass lines of blocks of color. And Cass is a really fun fact that many of the motifs in this series were actually offered in multiple colorways. So depending on whatever your end use was or your, you know, personal preferred palette, some of them came in like
1: two or three different colorways that you could pick from. It would be so cool. I'm like imagining people who've decorated their homes and all of these prints. And you mm-hmm. have to wonder who did it, you know, kind of in a restrained style and who just went all out. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I would be the one going all out. <laughs> so just a sampling of a few of the motifs included Dufy's sailboat motif which is entitled Le Havre was available in one colorway of quote tones of gold black and gray and a contrasting sea of blues and whites uh, then there was a cubist motif pulled from Picasso's Nature morte uh, in tones of gray green with deep and light gray featuring a fish in bright tallow green and sea blue then you have Leger's Parade Sauvage which depicts this wild circus scene, and it was a collage-like layering of forms incorporating its title, Parade Sauvage, as text was offered in white on orange or white on a purple red. Yeah, and
0: and it seems that bird motifs were oddly popular across this whole series. Maybe maybe somebody who was in charge of the decision-making for the motifs was a bird watcher. But um, Chagall had one motif of roosters, which was offered in at least one colorway that we know of, and that was in olive green, gray, black, and white. Well, Moreau's woman and bird was a rather serious affair. It was a black ground textile,
1: and then his signature line drawings were printed in blue, rose, and red. And Picasso's Modern Masters birds textile is actually in the collection of Cooper Hewitt, which has a wonderful sampling of textiles and garments from this series. And apparently this simple bird patterning was taken from a ceramic plate by Picasso, which I found super interesting. I actually had no idea that Picasso did ceramics, which maybe is an example of my limited knowledge of (laughs) Picasso's oeuvre, because apparently he did a ton of ceramics. But in 1947, he spent the summer in. Southeast France's Valeries region, which has a 2,000-plus-year ceramic production history.
0: Yeah, and as the text tells us from the Cooper Hewitt, quote, fascinated by the town's ceramic history as well as the inspirational work of Valeries. Contemporary potters, Picasso devoted himself to learning to throw clay vessels. He became passionate and a prolific potter, making thousands of jugs, vases, dishes, and platters with a wide range of decorative schemes. Living things from the earth, sky, and sea, like the bird on this plate, seem to have been recurring themes. And Picasso's ceramics were intended to be models for mass production. But this plan was abandoned because Picasso's originals were more highly valued as unique luxury collector's items. And the charming bird from one of his plates finally found its mass audience as a source motif for this print in the Fuller Fabric's Modern Masters series. So thank you for that little bit of research, Cooper Hewitt.
1: Yeah, super, super fascinating. And actually there's at least one other print in their collection that was similarly lifted from one of his ceramics. So um, yeah, that seems to have been a theme. So listeners, you might be wondering, how were fashion designers using these textiles? Tina Leeser used one of Leger's stained glass prints for a dress with a, quote, OB sash back, and this was available with a coordinating bolero jacket. This dress retailed for $22.75, while the complete ensemble sold for $42.50. Just under 350 today. If that sounds a little cheap today, it's because it's 350 today. But this ensemble was also produced in a blue colorway. And she used the same blue as well as red and yellow versions of the textiles for a strapless bathing suit, which featured a flounced back. And the bolero could also be used as a beach cover-up. So obviously these are very practical swimwear designs. Yes, yes, yes. And she loved to do that. Her designs frequently
0: emphasize interchangeability. And we've actually already done an episode on her. If you want to head back into our back catalog and learn a little bit more about her contributions to American fashion. Lisa also used one of the Modern Masters really delicate white, yellow, and green floral prints by Raoul Dufy for a, get this, $900 party dress.
1: At the time or today? <laughs> no, today. Today. Okay. But
0: still, that's kind of that's rather expensive, which was sold at high-end department stores at the time, which included Bonwit Teller, I iMagnon, and Neiman Marcus, and I think this is really interesting as to where these designs and textiles were being retailed because these kind of more high-end spots were probably catering to shoppers who were in the know about modern art, and probably these artists in particular. So their customers might have been more than thrilled to pick up a wearable collaboration between one of their favorite modern artists and one of their favorite fashion designers.
1: And speaking of favorite fashion designers, Claire McCardell was a huge fan of modern master prints. The Kubert Hewitt, again, has a wonderful 1955 McArdle dress using Leger's Parade Sauvage print, which is apparently packed with some very clever messaging April <laughs> that would not immediately be apparent to those not in the know. So the accompanying text reads, Leger's lithograph Parade Sauvage is an illustration for Parade Parade, one of the prose poems in Illuminations. The joyful iconography of circus parades, including clowns and acrobats, appears frequently in Leger's work. But the figures in Parade Sauvage are different. Parade is a graphic and violent, homoerotic poem, and Leger's illustration aligns with its more sinister imagery. The origin and meaning of the original motif and the incongruity of its use in a cotton day dress for American <laughs> middle-class women was apparently ignored at this time. And in retrospect, there is a certain irony in Fuller Fabrics advertising for the Modern Master Series, which noted that Leger's work, quote, lends fashion its greatest surprise. So oh my. one has to wonder, April, if McArdle actually knew of the intended messaging and kind of appreciated the subversive theme, who knows? I don't know enough about her work to guess. I did
0: not know this. is amazing. <laughs> I love it when those little moments happen. Well, McArdle, she also used one of Marc Chagall's motifs, which was known as Evening Enchantment, for a full-skirted dress that sold at Kerry Taylor auctions in 2014. This textile, based on Chagall's magical painting by the same name, while well, the textile is also in the collection of the Cooper Hewitt, who writes that it, quote, captured the essence of Chagall's work— it's lush lyrical colors and mystical dreamlike quality. The sumptuous overall pattern of rich blues and greens features a violinist surrounded by a fantasy world of flowers. The violinist was a frequent symbol in Chagall's work and one that recalled his Jewish upbringing in Russia. Flowers, an expression of love, were another recurring symbol. Chagall's romanticized, luxurious rendering of these images created a particularly elegant fabric.
1: End quote. And we agree. Yes, I was going to say, I actually think this is my absolute favorite. I think it's so beautiful. It kind of reminds me of Monet's Water Lily Gardens. It's so beautiful. Really, really gorgeous. So whoever got that dress in 2014, I'm envious. Well, there is a dress in that textile at the museum at FIT too, but I know that
0: that predates the 2014 sale. So just say.
1: Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, if anyone else knows of any other versions, let us know. Please. Needless to say, McArdle was obviously a huge fan of these prints. I'm sure this is just two examples of her work. So much so that her use of the modern textile prints was the subject of a multi-page spread in the November 14th, 1955 issue of Life Magazine. And just listeners, we've talked about this on the show before, but Life Magazine has a huge fashion section for so, so many years. There's so much fantastic fashion in Life Magazine. You can Google search it online. It's all available. That's great. You'll be surprised at what you can find in there. Yeah, Sally Kirkland was their fashion editor for many, many years. So really, really great resource. But anyways, the Life team, along with McArdle, traveled to the studio of each artist, and that studio served as a backdrop for models wearing McArdle's modern master and creations. Picasso, Miro, and Leger actually joined in to pose for the fashion shoots held in their individual studios. It's so wonderful. You have to check it out. Yes. It's very charming to see
0: the artists like right there hanging out with the models, interacting, and McArdle's designs. It's, it's really very sweet, actually. And of course, as we kind of noted at the beginning of the episode, Lisa and McArdle were certainly not the only designers to incorporate the modern master prints into their collections, but it was actually Fuller's choice of Lisa and McArdle as the designers featured in their advertising campaign for the print series that makes this really interesting point in the role that modern art played at the time in the construction of the quote unquote modern American lifestyle. Because at the time of the development of the modern master print series, Lisa and McArdle were perhaps two of the names most closely associated with fresh modern sportswear, which was really at the core and at the heart of the development of the oh, so modern American look. And the clean lines of American sportswear were not simplification, but really more of this sort of distillation of forms, which was also an inherent tenet of modernism. And so the perceived modernism of American fashion was, you know, at this time was also really promoted by many as the antithesis of the embellishment and artificiality of Parisian couture. So American fashion modern, Parisian couture starting to eke into that territory where their narrative is that it's becoming outmoded and kind of old-fashioned. And so much so that just Six months before the modern master print series debuted, McArdle's face actually graced the front of Time magazine, promoting their cover story, The American Look, which discussed both her and Lisa's work.
1: Yeah, and we really got to do a McArdle episode. I know we said it many, season many five, times. Season five. It's already on the list.
0: It's coming down the pipeline. Don't worry. You guys can, you, everyone out there can send me hate mail if I don't do a Claire McArdle episode, season five. <laughs>
1: So an article in the summer 1956 issue of American Fabrics magazine noted how, quote, all forms of modern art are influential in the impact and rapid penetration of new ideas into daily life, end quote. The same publication in an article about the Modern Master Series declares that the Five modern artists featured have, quote, taken their place among the accepted masters. Time has accustomed the viewer to their boldness in design and color. We no longer rebel against the idea that the world may be interpreted in forms other than those to which we are accustomed. So, you know, abstract forms versus very literal. Yeah. Literal depictions is kind of what they're talking about there.
0: Yeah, and we kind of have to remember that in the 1950s, modern art, and I say that with a capital M, like as in the art movement, it might not yet be the wider public's cup of tea. You know, as you noted, Cass, abstraction was still a little bit of a rough pill for some people to swallow. And these artists that were selected for this print series, they were considered some of the most avant-garde artists of their era. So this is... Infiltration of the modern aesthetic into wider society was not something that just happened. It was actually this part of a concerted effort on the part of many invested parties, um, both in the art world and in the fashion world. So since 1943, the Museum of Modern Art had been programming exhibitions that aimed to increase public awareness of this sort of vital relationship between art and industry, and in 1949, René de Hardancourt, who was director of MoMA, wrote that, quote, as the artist's concepts are molded by the trends and aspirations of his age, so in turn he molds the appearances of objects around him, end quote. And this also included textile design.
1: Yeah, and two years earlier, the MoMA had hosted the Printed Textiles for the Home Exhibition, which really underscores the value of textile as art object. And in 1956, the museum hosted the exhibition Textiles USA, which promoted the work of artisans working in the apparel industry, which in 1955 was a $3 billion a year enterprise serving more than 160 million people. Yeah, that's no joke. There's a lot of money to be
0: made here, right? So, on that same note of making money, perhaps also taking a cue from MoMA's promotion of modern textiles, Fuller Fabric took their modern master prints on the road. In November of 1955, the print series went on view at the Brooklyn Museum. Quote, The exhibit features a mobile display with reproductions of the painter's originals and layouts showing how the designs have been adapted to textiles, wedding art with utility end quote. So also fun fact, it it wasn't just up at the Brooklyn Museum. The exhibition would go on to travel around the United States and ended up at locations including the City Art Museum in St. Louis, the Atlanta Art Association, the Carnegie Institute in Pittsburgh, and the Minneapolis
1: Museum of Art. And it was also apparently the subject of a short Film as well. So Women's Wear Daily wrote in 1957 that Marcel Feibusch, advertising and promotion director of Fuller Fabrics, contributed to the Silvermine Guild of Artists big picture of design with an illustrated talk and showing of a little known movie entitled Fabrics from Modern Masters, the story of how modern master prints are derived and designed. So extra credit points, dress listeners, for anyone out there who can track (laughs) this film down for us and share it with us, because I'd love to see it. We would love
0: to see it. I bet it's sitting in some room in one of those big tin cans as like actual film somewhere. It's out there, I bet. But the same year as this film was shown in 1957, two more artists were actually added onto the roster who were contributing motifs, Paul Clay and also George Brock. So this kind of attests to the continuance of the endeavor into another year, into a second year. It was like collection two, basically. And I was actually able to locate past auction sales of yardage of one of Clay's designs for the Modern Masters, which is entitled uh, Magic Squares. And there is also one example of it being made up into a skirt, which has sold in the past on Etsy. And today, dress listeners, the Modern Masters prints are quite collectible, whether you are a museum textile curator on the hunt or even a modern textiles enthusiast. People are looking to get their hands on these. Oh, and by the way, another example of Clay's magic square motif resides in the textile collection at LACMA, the Los Angeles County Museum
1: of Art. So dress listeners, if you have vintage garments, which you suspect might be made from one of these modern masters prints, you can actually check without doing all of the sleuthing in magazines and newspapers and online databases that we have today. It's actually as simple as checking the salvage. (laughs) Yeah. So as Women's Wear Daily noted at the launch of this series in 1955, quote, the names of the artist and his work will be stamped on the salvage of the fabric. So if you discover any of these in your closet, or your collections, please send us pictures. We always love hearing from you.
0: And, you know, Cass, we should also note here that Fuller Fabrics' Modern Master Print series was not the only incarnation of modern art and textile collaborations. And as fashion historian Lee Wishner has noted, quote, Fuller's campaign was not the first of its kind, but one of the most prominent in a broader trend in mid-century apparel and furnishing fabrics. European and American luminaries Salvador Dali, Giorgio de Chirico, Marcel Vertez, Henri Moore, Alexander Calder, Stuart Davis, Paul, Saul Steinberg, Rockwell Kent, and Andy Warhol, alongside a multitude of talented
1: but lesser-known artists, all design textiles that are especially sought after today. Yes, and if our listeners would like to learn more or see images of some of these really fun modern textiles, you can follow Lee on her wonderful Instagram at patternplayusa. Lee, when are you coming on the show to regale us with your knowledge? We're such huge <laughs> fans. And I happen yes. to know she's working on a book, so she probably uh, will join us in the future <laughs> soon. Dress listeners, we hope you enjoyed our short romp into modern textile history. If you'd like to hear more episodes about textiles, please let us know. That does it for us today. May you consider where art resides in your wardrobe next time you get dressed. Please be sure to check out our Instagram this week for images of some of the modern master's prints. You can find us there at Dress underscore podcast, where you can also DM us with questions, comments, and episode suggestions always. Or you can email us at dress at iHeartMedia.com and find us on Facebook at dress podcast without the underscore. Okay, question cast. On that note of
0: Facebook, are we gonna have to start saying, find us on Meta at Dress Podcast? <laughs> Maybe. We shall see. <laughs> <laughs> and will dress transition into the metaverse. But anyway, also, if you have time to rate and review us on your podcast listening platform of choice, we do so always appreciate it. And thank you as always to our producers, Casey Pegram, Holly Fry, and everyone else at iHeartRadio that makes the show possible each week. We will catch you soon.